Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'm Drew Shelley, one of the pastors here. It is our hope and prayer that the message you hear today will help you connect deeply with the love of God we know in Jesus. Also, we'd love to connect with you so that we can share life and faith together. If you'd like more information about this church family, or if you want us to contact you, you can visit our website, fumcm.org, or you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at FUMC Borough. If you're looking for a place to belong, we have that place for you in one of our classes or small groups, as a part of one of our mission teams, or in either our modern or traditional worship services, which both meet at 1015 on Sunday mornings. First United Methodist Church is a warm and welcoming community of people committed to the idea of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. We hope this week's message helps you in your own personal journey towards knowing, loving, and serving Jesus in your life. Before we turn to Romans chapter 5, I wanted to just remind you we are about uh, a week and a half away from uh, Thursday night worship beginning right here uh, in this room starting February 27th at 7 p.m. We have what we feel is a a simple, good, and hopeful experience of worship that we're offering to our community, especially those folks who can't be here on Sunday mornings because of work or family commitments or a host of other things. And so we need your help spreading the word about this service. There are invitation cards floating around in chairs. Uh, Maybe you can share those, pass them around, and make sure they get in the hands of those who know people who might appreciate or enjoy a service like this on Thursday nights. And so we leave that in your care and just ask for your help. Uh, Many of you have signed up to help us with this. Uh, Some of us are going to stick around right after worship today to figure out what this room needs to look like on Thursday nights. And so if you have time and want to do that, uh, please do. If you can't, it's okay. But just know that you're welcome as we just kind of figure out what things need to look like. Uh, we're, We're in the home stretch now and we're we're very close to being ready for, uh, for this thing on the 27th. Most of all, let's be in prayer as we ask God to guide us in this work and to be able to reach the folks that we have been called to reach with uh, this opportunity for worship. We turn now to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, our New Testament lesson for today. Let us hear the Word of God. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God, and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have come to you in Murfreesboro from five years in Crossville in Cumberland County, Tennessee. Had great, a great five years there. It's where Shannon was raised and had a, a wonderful church family that we were able to share life and ministry with. Uh, when we first got there, almost, I think maybe the first month, somebody came to see me from the community and asked if I would be the new MC for the Gospel Sing Night at the county fair. Okay. This is a big deal in Crossville. Two or 3,000 people show up for this thing every year at the county fair. It was a high honor to be asked to be the MC. The previous MC had done it for 35 years and uh, was happy, I think, to hand it over to the next person. He just said he got too old. And so I was glad to be able to do that work. And I said yes right away. I was wanting to get to know the community and figure out my place in the whole thing. And so, so I said yes. The night of my first gospel sing night at the Cumberland County Fair, I stood on the stage looking at the big crowd uh, on the fairgrounds. You know, there's dirt. They just had, I think, the tractor pull the night before. So we're standing in a bunch of dirt. I had on a three-piece suit. I looked as sharp as I could. You know, I felt like you need to look your best for something like that, representing the First United Methodist Church in Crossville. The fellow that I was replacing uh, kind of slipped up to me, and I said, how did you decide to ask me to do this? And he said, uh, well, preacher, we asked seven other preachers, and they all said no. <laughs> I should have known right then that I was in, in trouble, big trouble. So the thing started. I, I had my jokes prepared, my filler material. You know, you got to keep things moving. You got choirs coming on the stage and going off the stage. We had a band, kind of a, a bluegrass gospel band that they were providing filler music to, and, and so I would tell a joke while they started a song. It was, it was going to be really great. The first choir came from the crowd out into the dirt and up onto the risers. They were from the Independent Apostolic Missionary Church of the Christian Faith on the Plateau Road, and uh, they had on matching t-shirts. They looked really good. And I introduced them with great fanfare, and immediately the choir director turned to the crowd and started a five-minute angry, fiery sermon. Thankfully, he did not have a microphone, so no one could really hear him except the, the first rows, and then we could hear from the stage. And he started right out. He called the president of the United States a demon. He called the mayor of Crossville an adulterer. And he called me an apostate preacher. Now, I don't know what an apostate preacher is, but apparently I was one. It was, it was, really, it was really exciting. And I just smiled and thought, yeah. 
Nobody can hear you. Just let's fast forward to the song. So they started the song, and it was, it was something. Oh, it was something. I'm going to try to sing it for you, okay? It started out with, and it was hollering, hollering singing, okay? I'm so glad I'm not a Muslim. I'm so glad I'm not a Jew. That's how it went. For they're all bound for hell just the same as me and you, but for Jesus, got real pretty right here, but for Jesus, whose blood can make the foulest sinner clean, even you, it kind of had that little tag on it, I thought I was going to (laughs) die. The crowd cheered, not, not where you think they would, you think, but for Jesus would be the place for the cheer. No, bound for hell is what got the cheer, bound for, for hell, except for my Methodist friends who were there. They were sitting in the front row to be supportive of their new preacher who was 15 years old, and they looked just as shocked as I did, okay? So I... I'm trying to hide. I don't want to be associated with this. And so all I can find on the wide open stage is a big cooler full of water. I backed in beside the cooler full of water, and I got down like this, where as few people as possible could see me behind the cooler full of water. The band leader came over and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm having a theological heart attack (laughs) right now. Please leave me alone while I have this. Oh my goodness, I wanted so badly just to, just to call it off and say, no more singing tonight. No more singing tonight. Christianity 101 starts in five minutes. Please bring me a chalkboard and just write no across the thing. And that's all we need. I can take it from there. Sometimes we all need a, a remedial class, I think. Sometimes we need a remedial class. What is this thing that we're doing? What are we doing? This faith, this gospel, this salvation in Jesus that we talk about, what is it? And, and how does it work? What are the implications of it for how we live? And for the songs, for the songs that we sing with our lives, we are unwrapping today, uh, or wrapping up, I should say, six weeks of identity work. We've been remembering who we are as God's children and what it is that we are supposed to be doing. Today, we go back to the beginning and ask, how is it that we become part of what God is doing in this gospel of Jesus Christ? How is it that we enter this thing called salvation in Jesus, and what does that really mean for us? The last five weeks, we have, we've talked a lot about God pushing all the boundaries. Every boundary that we put up, God pushes. Where does God's grace end? Where does it begin? Who is outside of the love of God? No one. Who is not God's child? No one. Who is our neighbor? Everyone. Who matters most to God? We all do. God loves all of us equally. I love John Chapter 3, verse 16, you know it well too. For God so loved, what goes there? Does it say, for God so loved the church? No, for God so loved the world. It really says, for God so loved all those who do not love God. For God so loved all those who hate God, that God gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have, what's that last part? Everlasting life. The best part about John 
3.16 is John 3.17. Indeed, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world might be saved through him. I love that so much. But there is this entry point where we make a shift from watching what God is doing in the world to being a part of what God is doing in the world. Yes, the grace and love of God are boundless, but the call of the gospel, the call of salvation, is to join what God is doing in the world. The scriptures tell us that this is how we find salvation. It is not about getting our ticket punched so that we can go to heaven and then just waiting things out. That's not what this is all about. Romans 5 helps us so much with this. Therefore, it says, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast, we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. If we take those few verses and work backward just a little bit, we, we have this hope of sharing the glory of God. That is the revealing of God to the world. It is that new creation that we've been talking about so much. It is this new thing that God is doing in Jesus, putting everything right once and for all. We share in that work. That's the work to which we've been called, loving the world back to life one heart at a time. That is our hope. That is our hope. That is our calling. And that is our promise. That is the glory of God in which we share as we hope as we hope we stand in this grace Jesus gives to us. The root word beneath grace is, is gift, always gift. We, we don't earn it. God gives it to us and to the whole world in Jesus. We stand in that gift, and we don't always know what to do with gift, do we? When somebody gives you a gift, you feel like, oh my goodness, I have to get you a gift in return. We have a closet in our house full of gifts in case one of you drops by with a gift. Oh, we got you something too. Here you go. That's, that's how we, we don't want to be, you know, in obligation to anybody over that. What do you do when you receive a gift? Jesus says, please just do one thing. I just ask that you do one thing when I give you this gift, receive it. Just receive this gift. That's how gift is supposed to work. We're now back to verse 1 of chapter 5. We are justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is such an important word. It means, I think, at a basic level, to be made right with God. We look at our favorite expanded definition of salvation. It's healing, it's wholeness, it's salvation. It is peace with God. You've heard this before, peace with God, peace with each other, and a peace that seeks the well-being of all people, all people. Justification puts us squarely in that peace. But listen carefully to what we're saying we are not talking about who is inside of God's grace and love and who is outside of God's grace and love. Everybody, everybody is inside of God's grace and love. To be made right with God is to be made part of God's mission in the world. Salvation is to be found in that mission. 
and it spills out of that mission onto a, a teeming mass of humanity loved by God and by us, no matter what, no exceptions. Let's think about it this way. This is how it happens so often in the New Testament. There's, there's some old uh, Roman pagan, and a pagan is just somebody who's, in their time, not a Jew, really, but just somebody that's sort of there and worshiping all sorts of gods and goddesses and idols, very much part of the fabric of the community, but just not a person of God. That's what they would use pagan to mean. So here's this old Roman pagan. He has been on a three-day worship fest with the temple prostitutes at the edge of town. It was worship now for them. It was worship, but it was probably worse than the worst fraternity party that you have ever been to, okay? It was worse than that. Somewhere beyond that, and you get to call it worship. There's no better deal. I mean, it would be just fantastic. So much fun. He's been three days with them. He's walking home when he passes some Christians who are gathered up talking about how they see the world. He stops. He stops to listen, mainly so that he can tell his friends at the bathhouse later how crazy these Christians are, and he hears the good news that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, that he was crucified, dead, and buried, that on the third day he rose from the dead. He hears that Jesus of Nazareth is the Lord and Savior of the world and that God is King, not Caesar. He hears all of that. It's crazy to him. And then the Holy Spirit moves in our Roman friend's heart. He realizes that he cannot help but believe what he is hearing. That's how it happens over and over in the New Testament. When he believes this thing that he's heard, as crazy as it is, God declares him to be part of God's mission in the world. He is justified, he is forgiven, he is made right with God, and he is on this mission that is this journey of salvation. Will he go back to the temple prostitutes? Probably at least a few times before he realizes that he can't keep doing that and still be part of what God is doing in the world, still be doing stuff that hurts him and others. He'll get it, but it may take a little while. What he did not hear is... We've got a really neat church with a coffee bar, stuff for kids, valet parking, and a great band. Come join us at your convenience. That's what he did not hear. <laughs> that is not the gospel, not at all. The language that Paul uses here gets used a lot in the New Testament. It's usually in the context of who gets to sit together at the table when they're gathering up to eat. It seems like a nitpicky thing, but it, it mattered a lot to them. It actually still is of great concern to us today, though the names have been changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> if we look back through the New Testament, we see that our first great controversy, our first battle is really who is out and who is in, who gets to sit at the big people's table and who gets to sit at the little people's table. The Jewish Christians who had been faithful Jews, believed in Jesus and become Christians, they felt like they could sit at the big people's table. Everybody else who came later either had to become a Jew first and then become a Christian or needed some sort of special authorization to get to sit at the big people's table. This was the big question for them. This was the big argument, who gets to sit at the big people's table? The question they were asking 
the one we're still asking today, the one answered by that horrible little song at the county fair, (laughs) the wrong question, the wrong question for us to be asking is, how did you earn your place at God's table as a member of God's family? The only way to answer that question is with I statements, isn't it? I read my Bible. I prayed the right prayers. I got my theological beliefs all worked out, and then, then I was made able to sit at the big people's table. That's how I became a member of God's family with a place at God's table. That's not the right question. The right question is this. How did God make you a member of God's family? Well, that's a different question. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, made me able to believe the gospel as crazy as it is, and then God said, God said, well, you have a place at my table. Here it is. Pull up the chair. Well, if God has made you a member of this family, then let's skip the theological heart attack and take hands together in the work of God's mission. I could be wrong, but I think that is the justifying grace of God at work in the New Testament. We are all made right with God in Jesus and in none other. Our question, our other question, how do we become part of what God is doing in the world? Well, it's actually pretty simple. God invites everybody. We accept through believing that Jesus is the Son of God, crucified, raised from the dead, the Savior and Lord of the world, that God is King, not Caesar, and then God puts us to work in God's mission. Salvation flows from there. That's how the thing begins. That's how the first steps happen. Justification is the doorway through which we walk into God's mission. It is always open, and there is a flashing sign above it inviting the whole world to come in to join hands in what God is doing. As I read the New Testament, I I don't find that there is ever a question about who is inside or outside of God's grace and love. We are all loved and graced equally and invited into God's mission, which is where we find salvation, healing, wholeness, peace with God, peace with each other, and a peace that seeks the well-being of all people. So we wonder, what are the implications of this gospel, of this justification in Jesus, of this mission of God in the world? They are tremendous, but I think the first and most important implications are really just to put down to put down our swords, our pistols, our angry songs of self-preservation and division so that we can take up the hands of our neighbors and join together in building this new creation God is bringing to life so that we who are being saved in Jesus, just like everybody else, can sing a very different song with our lives, a very different song. You know this song. I think you know some of it. Let's sing it together. 
Lord, whose love through humble service bore the weight of human need, who upon the cross forsaken offered mercy's perfect deed. We, your servants, bring the worship, not a voice alone, but heart. Consecrating to your purpose every gift that you 